Bible. Glad you're here. I'm Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in a series called A Generous Life. Uh, we're looking at, at taking this journey of living a generous life. Why? Because our great God is generous, incredibly generous. So now maybe by way of review, just in case you haven't been here, or maybe you're new this morning, uh, we want to catch you up a little bit on where we've been and what we're doing. So first off, we just, we have kind of two big principles that undergird, undergird this whole series on generosity and on giving. And uh, number one is this, is that uh, Jesus isn't after your stuff. He's after your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you to turn to him, to repent, to put your full faith and trust in him and him alone and his work on the cross for your salvation. You have no other hope but him. And, and curiously, uh, where we, what we do with our stuff reveals where our heart is. So sometimes uh, Jesus teaches after our stuff. He goes after it in his teaching, but in terms of wanting it, no, he wants your heart. The reality is we've seen all of it is already his. He's the owner and creator of everything. And the other piece to this is Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, that, that God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to want to give. He, he, that's, again, he's after your heart, right? He's, he's not putting you under his thumb and, and pressing you down and trying to get you to, to, to conform. To, no, no, no. He wants your heart. He wants you to willfully turn to him and come to him and give to him. So uh, our second principle in all of this is if you don't want to give... Um, for your own good, please don't give. Don't give. Uh, those two things really undergird this whole thing. And we're looking at this uh, generous life, this journey towards a generous life. And we've identified five different types of givers. And the first one, if you're just beginning to give, we, we got creative with the name and we called it a beginning giver. And uh, the beginning giver just says, I'm beginning my giving journey. And uh, maybe the next step towards that is a consistent giver where you're just giving something consistently. And we kind of identify just uh, uh, subjectively this idea of a month. Once a month, I'm giving regularly uh, to the Lord. Uh, when I take the next step from a consistent giver, then I become a tithing giver. And we talked about this last Sunday in Abraham. And when I'm tithing, I'm giving uh, 10% of my, my income to the Lord, my first fruits. So off to the top, the first 10%. And I told you, like, maybe 10% is a big stretch for you at this point. Well, start somewhere. Start with, start with 5%. Start with 2%. But start somewhere and, and say, out of my budget, that's going to be the first line in my budget this month or this week, whatever it is. And I'm going to give to the Lord. Make that step to become a tithing giver. Well, today we're going to look at the, the, sec, the last two, actually, because they kind of go together. These lines are a little bit blurry when you look at them all together. But we're going to look at an expanding giver and an extravagant giver. And by God's grace, all of us will strive towards becoming extravagant givers, extravagant with our generosity, with our time, our talent, and our treasure. So with that, let's pray, 
And then uh, we're going to dive in and we're going to look at some expanding and extravagant givers this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. Lord, I pray uh, that you would teach me, even as I teach, that you would uh, stir our hearts towards generosity because you're generous. Just like we love because you first loved us, Lord, we give because you first gave to us. And so, so tune our hearts to do that, I pray. I pray that for myself, Lord, that you would help me to grow in, in my walk towards being generous. Encourage us today, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He would uh, love to take uh, topics like this, especially things that reveal our heart in our giving and use it against us and uh, take my words and twist them or cause division or disunity among us. Instead, Holy Spirit, would, would you teach us and um, help us be more like Jesus? We love you. We're thankful for Jesus and we pray all this through him. Amen. Luke chapter 10 is where we're at this morning, and really one of uh, the more familiar passages of Scripture, at least one of the more familiar characters of Scripture. Uh, Jesus, uh, whether he's a real character or just a fictitious one in the parable Jesus tells, you're going to see this guy, the Good Samaritan. Uh, You see him all over the place today. There's hospitals named for him. There's charities named after him, all kinds of stuff. And uh, let's look at the story of who he is and... uh, why he is even in the text this morning in, in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Jesus is speaking, or uh, Luke is writing, he says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Often people would come to Jesus and ask questions of, How should I live my life? What do I need to do? And, and he says to him, Jesus says, He says, uh, What is written in the law? How do you read it? You're a lawyer. Uh, You know God's word. Uh, Tell me, how do you read it? And he answered. He said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's a really good answer you're going to see here in a moment. And he said to him, well, you've answered correctly. Jesus said, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Well, this isn't the only time a lawyer comes to Jesus asking a question when Jesus uh, gives an answer similar to this. I mean, have you ever stopped and wondered if you were to go ask Jesus and you were to ask him, Jesus, what do I need to do to follow you? What does it take? What's, tell, tell me everything I need to do, everything I need to change. Um, I think he would sum it up with two commands. And let's keep reading here. Uh, I want to show you another passage where a, a Pharisee, another lawyer, came, comes to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. It's lawyer day today at church. We're getting all the lawyers. And uh, they're asking Jesus questions. But look at this guy. He goes, why does he ask a question? What was his purpose? It was to test Jesus. Some translations, if I'm, if I'm right, I think they, they read to trap Jesus. They, they, they wanted to test him and see, see, this guy really didn't want to know the answer to the question. He wanted to prove himself to be right in front of Jesus. I'm going to ask you this question, this big theological question, Jesus, but really what's happening behind the scenes is I just want to prove that I know more than you know. And so that's why we're doing this. That was the lawyer. That was his motivation. He said, uh, here's this question, teacher, Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says to him, he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
Boy, that's exactly what this other lawyer had replied to Jesus, right? Maybe he was here at this point listening. That's good. But look at the rest of what Jesus says. He says, and a second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus answered him by quoting, actually, from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and then adding to it Leviticus chapter 19 of to love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says the entire teaching of the Bible is summed up in these two commands. If you love God and love others, do you want to know what it takes to follow Jesus? What he demands of you and of me? He demands that we love him and that we love others. And if you do those two things, Jesus says you actually fulfill everything. If you do those two things perfectly, Uh, This command is often referred to as the great commandment of Jesus because it sums up every other command in the Bible. Think about it. If I really love God, if I really love Jesus, I'm I'm not going to steal, am I? And if I really love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal, am I? So if I I do those two, I I got them all covered. But how hard is that to do those two all the time consistently? It's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible on our own. Um. In addition to the great commandment, Jesus also gave, gave us the great commission. And it shows up in, in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's like, uh, I'm in charge. So here's what you need to do. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says these, there's these two things that, that were to be about. The great commandment, love God, love others. And the great commission, make disciples. Does that sound familiar to anybody? When we were crafting our mission statement, it it was based on these two passages. That we are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Uh, And that's exactly what kind of Jesus is saying here. If you really want to obey me, then go out, love God, love people, make disciples, invite them, and, and teach them to love Jesus and love people. That Jesus is really, he's, he's handing out a mission here, isn't he? He's saying, uh, this, this is the command. It's your motivation to make disciples, loving God and loving others. Now, let's get back to the text of Luke and keep reading. We, we looked at Matthew for a moment and kind of went down a little rabbit trail there, but to see another lawyer who, who asked Jesus so that he could test him. Because see, when Jesus replies, there's only two commands. If you do these two, you sum up all 613 is When this guy would have come to Jesus in Matthew, I think what's in the back of his head is, okay, here's the plan. If he answers this one, I'm going to come back, well, what about this one? And if he answers this one, then I'm going to come back, well, what about these three? And Jesus just silenced them because he's like, if you do these two, you got all 613 in the Old Testament. Well, let's keep reading, though, from this guy in Luke. He went and, and he answered. Jesus said, well, what does the, the law say? You know, and he summed it up. He said, love the Lord, love people. And Jesus said, right, do this and you'll live. But let's keep reading. Look at verse 29. But this, this man, he, the lawyer, uh-oh. Looks like he's like the other lawyer, doesn't it? Desiring to justify himself. To prove he was right. He's a bit arrogant, evidently, and prideful. He said to Jesus, well... Jesus, who is my neighbor? <laughs> yeah, that's how I picture him. Like, who, who is my neighbor? And it's like, really? He knew who his neighbor was. This guy would actually, he'd rather enter a theological debate than just simply obey. He loved his right theology more than he loved Jesus. Asking questions is good and helpful, but not if you're not willing to follow the Lord. So Jesus 
replies like he often does with a story or with a parable. And here's how he replies. And here's where we're getting to an example, I believe, of an expanding giver. Jesus replied to him, and we don't know if this is a true story or a fictitious story that Jesus tells to illustrate the point. But he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. Now, uh, Jericho is is, uh, northeast of Jerusalem. Uh, Going up to Jericho isn't up on a map like north. It's it's or down to Jericho to the south. It's actually he's going down from Jerusalem, going south. Or not? I cannot talk today. (laughs) Normally, when I think go down, I think go south. Do you think that? Jesus says go down. He says they went down to Jericho, but really Jerusalem's on a mountain. He's going literally down the mountain to Jericho. That took a long time to try to say that, didn't it? I hope I get a little less wordy as we go. So let's keep going. So he's going down there. Now here's the deal. He said he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him half dead. The trip from Jerusalem to Jericho was a treacherous one. It was about 17 miles. And that descent down was about 3,300 feet over 17 miles. And at some points, you can actually still go walk the Jericho Road today. You can hike it if you want to. Um, it's a very narrow path. So this is a wadi that you see on the screen right now. A wadi is a dry riverbed. So sometimes in Israel, when they get tons of rain because the ground is so dry, it'll just be a massive wall of water will come rushing down through this wadi. And if you're in there after it rained, like up in the mountains, get out. <laughs> and, uh, but you can see on the left-hand side, do you see the little path? That's the Jericho Road. Here's a couple other pictures that, that illustrate some people walking on it today. And this was a trip down wild, rocky, desolate country. And when Jesus is telling this story, these people who heard it would have known this, this journey. They would have known what it was like to, to travel this road. And as you can see, it's in the wilderness. There's caves along the route. It made for great, great hideouts for, for robbers, for bandits. And often, if you're a lone traveler, uh, you needed to really be careful that, that you at least went during the day. Uh, because it, it, was, it would have been common for you to have potentially been attacked and left for dead in the middle of the desert. So Jesus is telling a story about a guy by himself, and now you've got a picture in your mind of his journey. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, after the guy gets beat up, left for dead, he passed by on the other side. Okay, that, that's a pretty narrow path, isn't it? What's the other side look like? Um, step over <laughs> and keep going or just simply kind of skirt around. I mean, he just, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Complete callousness to this man's need, but probably also busy with what they had in front of them, distracted. They couldn't afford to slow down. And, and we're good, again, we're looking at this passage to see the example of somebody who's an expanding giver, who's growing on this journey of generosity. And the Levite and the priest, in any case, this man, uh, they, they see him and they, they walk around him. What they really needed to do is what we're going to see someone else do in a moment. And, and what we need to do, if we're going to become generous, is we need to slow down. Slow down. They were in a hurry. They had to get where they were going. They didn't have time to help this man. I'm going to get out of here before it's dark so I don't get beat up. (laughs) They they needed to slow down, much like the priest and like the Levite. You and I, we get busy. We get too focused on ourselves, too distracted, too overburdened. 
And, and what slowing down does is it helps us to really consider what matters, what truly matters. And I would commend to you that Jesus' little brother, James, wrote a book in the New Testament that's really helpful for us to slow down and read through. It's helpful for us when it comes to slowing down. And the whole argument of the book of James is that Christians need to live out their faith, that true faith yields fruit. And when I slow down, I can examine my life and I can say, um, where are some of the needs that I see? And, and am I yielding fruit? Am I really focusing on what matters? Well, if you want a good punch in the gut this week, go read the book of James. Because he focuses a ton on what matters. His whole idea is live out your faith. He says things like this. Faith without works is dead. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Show no partiality. Love, our, love your neighbor like you love yourself. He, he says, be leery of becoming a teacher because you'll be judged more harshly. I think, why? Because as a teacher, if you're just teaching it and you're talking the talk but not walking the walk, woe to you. And, and also, uh, tame your tongue. Be careful what you say. He, he talks about getting rid of selfish ambition and jealousy and seeking wisdom in, in 317. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's true faith is, is sincere. God opposes the proud, those who just talk about it, but he gives grace to the humble, those who do it. Submit yourselves to God. Draw near to God, he says. Don't speak evil against one another, he says. Quit boasting, James says. If you're rich, that's great. But he says, don't trust in your riches in chapter 5. Don't grumble. He says, instead, pray. I just give you the whole summary of the book of James. He's all about living out your faith. And sometimes he even gives concrete examples of what living out your faith looks like. Like in James chapter 1, verse 27 is one, one of a couple examples. Religion, he says, that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep yourself unstained from the world. And he gives other examples. Now, he's not, um, if we just misunderstand this to think that this is like the greatest verse in all the Bible and this is the most important thing we should ever do, we're missing James' total argument, aren't we? Because his total argument is live out your faith. He's giving an illustration, isn't he? John Calvin said it this way, and here's why I say this. John, John Calvin said about this passage, James does not define generally what religion is. He reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. And what I would say, if you want, some, want, want a challenge this week to slow down, sit down with the book of James, slow down. And by slowing down, you'll be reminded of what John Calvin says about James, that it will remind you as you read his book uh, that our faith without good works is nothing. Slow down and focus on what matters. Read the book of James this week, slowly. Like the priest and the Levite, you and I, we need to slow down. The second thing we need to do that we're going to see someone else in the story do here in a moment, if we're going to become generous with our time, talent, treasure, is open our eyes. We've got to open our eyes. Not just slow down, but look. These two things really kind of go hand in hand. See, because when I slow down, I can focus on what really matters. And after seeing what really matters, then I can open, it's time to open my eyes. It, open my eyes to what? Well, to the fact that, that God is active and he's alive. That, that he's not um, ignoring what's going on. He, friends, God is at work. He's always at work. Do you believe that? Amen. He's always at work. The question isn't... Uh, 
See, the, the question isn't, do you see it? The question is, are you looking? You know, we sing that song. We didn't sing it this morning. I don't think we're singing it today. Uh, the song called The Gospel. And we say, oh, oh, look what God has done. Right? It's not like, I wish God would do something. No, no, it's look what he's done. Open your eyes. Slow down. See, what's, see what he's doing. Open your eyes to, to the opportunities that are before you. Listen, there are opportunities constantly in front of us. Sometimes they're called interruptions. There's always opportunities in front of us. Serving the Lord is giving of my time, talent, treasure, being generous. It's all, that opportunity is always in front of me. Ministry opportunities are countless and you are in my life. We need to open our eyes to them. And because and, really, truly, all of ministry, all of it, it's an act of giving, isn't it? If I'm going to really uh, take advantage, open my eyes to an opportunity, I've got to see that all of it's giving. It's not just my pocketbook. It's, it's my time. It's my talent. It's, it's everything. It's my life. Proverbs says this, then, about one who gives freely. One who gives freely, uh, but in order to give, I've got to open my eyes to what I can give. Uh, he grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Maybe, maybe part of the problem sometimes when we're suffering want or we're like, what? Maybe we need to give. Maybe we're, we're holding on to everything like this and we need to be like this. I can only speak for me. I know that's, I found that to be true in my life. Whoever brings blessing, the uh, I believe it's Solomon here says, uh, brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. I love that last line. One who waters will himself be watered. Our sermon lead video, right, with the, the people with their hands and they slowly open them up. Uh, came to, you know, that's just an expression of, it's, oh, it's my stuff. No, I need to let it go. But, you know, it came to our attention this week. We were talking about this. And really this isn't just an expression of giving, is it? It's also an expression of receiving, when, when it's a posture of not just giving, but receiving. When I have my hands out like this, guess what? And I offer things to the Lord, guess what he can also do? Give me more to be able to give more. Sometimes when I'm like this, you know, you ever, you ever try to catch a ball with your hands like this? If I'd have been thinking I'd have had somebody throw me a ball right now. There's no way I could catch it, could I? What do I have to do? I gotta be like this. I gotta open my hands up. See, uh, opening my eyes is also opening my eyes to the opportunities to receive from the Lord and say, Lord, uh, what, what would you have me do with this? Is this for me to enjoy? Is this, is this for me to give? What, what, what do I do with this? And it's a posture of receiving as well as giving. That, that he who waters will himself be watered. The Lord gives back. You know... Um, We'll talk about that a little bit. Let's keep going. The, the priest and the Levite, they needed to slow down. They needed to open their eyes. So let's keep reading. And then we see verse 33, but a Samaritan, the Levite and the priest had stepped alongside him, stepped around him and kept going. As he journeyed, <coughs> excuse me, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. First off, but a Samaritan, that's a big but in your Bible. And that's a, it is, it's just a huge, it's a huge pay attention. And, and the Samaritans were outcasts. Did you know that? 
it really dates back. I don't have time to explain it all, but it dates back to uh, the 700 BC, 700s BC when uh, the Assyrians come in in 722, conquer uh, northern kingdom of Israel and move them all out, some, most of them all out, and they start intermarrying with the Assyrians, adapting their culture, adapting their gods. And over time then, all the way up to 1,000 years later, 700 years later, uh, they've assimilated themselves and they're viewed as outcasts by the Jewish people. They're just outcasts. They intermarry. They're... Hmm. Jesus, though, is incredibly... um, he, He seems to commend the faith of Samaritans and often at the chagrin of people who look down on them. Like the woman at the well in chapter 4 of John is a Samaritan. This man here is a Samaritan. It it reminds me again, you know, I need to be slow to criticize others. Because the Samaritans were criticized all the time. And yet that's who Jesus often uses to correct some of the Pharisees' faith. I wonder if Jesus was here, if he would tell me a parable about somebody that maybe I view critically. And it would be to show me something good about their faith where I need to grow. So I shouldn't criticize, should I? But this man, incredibly, when he saw him, he had compassion. Because when they thought Samaritan, they thought, oh, I don't know. This guy, surely he's not going to do anything good for him. But the Samaritan shows us our next step, which is not only to slow down like he did, not only open our eyes like he did, but to soften our heart like he did. Samaritan had his heart softened. Living a life uh, of love, just like the Father loves us. In, In Ephesians 5, Be imitators of God like beloved children. Maybe this is softening your heart to someone's need. Maybe this is softening your heart to a ministry opportunity in the church or ministry endeavor of the church. Maybe it's softening your heart to the Lord uh, poking at you saying, hey, it's time to get on board. It's time. What is it? Are you willing to soften your heart? We don't know who the Samaritan was. He's never named. Um. But he's a great example to us. Verse 34, what else he does? He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So I I slow down, I open my eyes, I soften my heart. That's all the work of the spirit in me, by the way. And then I bend my back. I do work. I live out uh, what James talks about. What we're starting to see here is a move beyond uh, my giving out of my budget. But this guy, he's giving uh, not just out of his income, but out of his time. Above and beyond what maybe he would normally give, right? Not just financially, but his time, his heart, his works. You know, back to our friend James. One of his primary arguments, true faith is validated by works. He says, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. My pastor in college, James McDonald, used to say it this way. He'd say, uh, if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you. Now, he's not saying that your, your works are caught, and James isn't saying this either, that my, my works are causative of being saved. They're saying uh, it's, it's effectual of being saved. 
that if I'm really saved, works flow. You, you, get, this, you get the picture? I'm, I'm not telling you that your works save you. I'm not, because they don't. But if you're really saved, there's going to be some fruit. Some. For some a lot, for some a little. Is there fruit? If your faith hasn't changed you, I, I, just, I love that statement, it probably hasn't saved you. It kind of punches you right in the gut, doesn't it? By the way, um, uh, something to let you know about, uh, he is going to be in Elkhart uh, the first week of March. And uh, maybe, I know some, a handful of you listened to him on the radio on Walking the Word. And uh, we, we bought a bunch of tickets. I think we got like 25. And the uh, Vertical Church Band, we sing a lot of their songs on Sunday morning. is going to be in Elkhart. So we bought 25 tickets. If you're interested in going, uh, let us know on your Connect card. And uh, we'll figure that out. And if we need to get some more, we'll get some more. Sound good? So let us know if you want to go. I think it's the first Wednesday in March. I don't know the date. I should have wrote it down, but I'm not that smart. The, the what? The 8th. That would make it the second Wednesday in March then, wouldn't it? So the 8th. All right. There you go. But let's get back to the text here. This guy slowed down. He opened his eyes. He encountered a need. He softened his heart toward it. He even bent his back to help. What about his wallet? Look at verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Two denarii is about two to three days wages. Um, The next step is to extend your wallet. Now let's be clear. Money isn't the only way we demonstrate compassion, right? It's not. But it's... It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's not the only way this character in Jesus' story demonstrated, but it's the primary way that Jesus seems to measure our priorities. Uh, he says in Matthew 6, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, to, to be an expanding giver then, to extend my wallet in this way, it's... It's beyond my regular giving. It's reactive. You might even say it's spontaneous giving to a need. It's over and above. This was common in the Old Testament to to give over and above your tithe. Oftentimes, uh, the most common times we see it actually is on building projects in the Old Testament. With the tabernacle, with the temple, with the renewing of the temple. And, uh, you know, it's it's not a secret. We're, We're moving towards... Lord willing, a building project of our own, aren't we? And an opportunity to, to renovate our facility, to add on to it. Why? Well, to be good stewards of what we have, to open new doors of ministry, to care for our community, all kinds of reasons. And uh, as you're thinking about that, when we get to the month of April, what's going to happen is on April 2nd, we're going to come to you and we're going um, to challenge you to, to really start praying hard about if the Lord would have you give somehow. And um, at the end of April, on April 30th, we're going to bring uh, our commitments and, and we're going to say together, here's what I'm committing over the next three years. And uh, we're going to even bring, if, if the Lord would move your heart and you pray about it, you think about it, you've, you've gone through these steps and you're like, yeah, I want to give. We'll bring a first fruits gift that day on the 30th and then kind of to launch us forward. And in a sense, you know, people of many have asked, you know, are we going to vote? Are we going to vote? We'll vote after that, after we know what people are willing to give. It'd be kind of foolish to vote without knowing what the resources are, wouldn't it? So, so that's coming. And again, if you don't want to give, like we said, do not, what? Give. But 
you better pray about it. I mean, how obnoxious it would be to say, no, I already know. I don't need to pray. Really? Wow. I would pray. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor, Jesus says to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, good, you go and do likewise. Loved ones, let's be like the Samaritan here. Let's be expanding givers. Let's slow down. Let's open our eyes to needs and to opportunities. The reason I bring up the the 30 for 30 journey again is just the fact that, you know, I don't know about you, but we're starting to see it, Hannah and I have, where opportunities maybe for uh, new ways that the Lord is blessing us um, in terms of of finances, in terms of time, and, and lots of different things going Okay, is that an accident or is it just that we're, we're learning to go <laughs> and he's putting stuff there that we can be able to give more? Open your eyes to those opportunities. Pray about them. Maybe he would give you more to be able to give. I don't, I don't know. But open your eyes to it. Let's soften our hearts like he did. And let's bend our backs to serve and meet needs as we see them. And then extend our wallets to meet those needs as they come available. That's the expanding giver. But it's not the final step on the journey. The final step is to move. uh, Lord willing, I hope I get here someday. There's been times in my life where you kind of bump up against it. But it's like you you really want to get there consistently, don't you? I do. Is to be an extravagant giver. And and an extravagant giver. I want to show you a few examples in scripture before we close today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. I think we'll see a handful of extravagant givers even right here. Chapter 32 of Acts chapter 4. Now, the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul. This was uh, right after the church was born. Uh, Peter's preaching. Thousands come to faith in Jesus. Um, A work of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible in Acts chapter 2. And then this is a description of how that church was functioning. It describes what they were doing. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Huh. So everybody, everybody went from here to here. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. Huh. That's, that's good. That's good. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. By God's grace, I hope that's true of our church, that we never quit proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? That, that it's all about Jesus. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, one, one, one comment here before we keep going is that this passage is descriptive of what was happening in that church. It is not necessarily prescriptive for what should happen in every church, right? Uh, It's not prescriptive saying that everybody should just sell everything and give it all away. There's a different economic climate, there's a different culture, but it is descriptive and there's principles we can pull out of here that we should apply to our own life. Does that make sense? So it's descriptive. And and what we see in this description is is some extravagant giving and investment in Jesus' kingdom. Do you want to be an extravagant giver? Don't just die. Don't just give towards needs that arise. Invest in the kingdom. Any of you ever invested money? 
when you invest, if, if you ever get the opportunity to invest money, and by God's grace, maybe you will if you haven't, um, you, you sit down with, with an advisor or somebody who knows what they're doing, and what's one of the things they tell you? Now, remember, you're putting this money in, you're putting these resources in for the long haul. You may not see a return tomorrow. Don't check it tomorrow. This is about the end. This is the long game. We're playing long ball here, right? An investment in the kingdom is an investment that's going to outlive me. It's an investment in my children. In the example, we're talking about an investment in our church facility to provide for the next generation a facility that's more flexible that we we don't know what ministry is going to be like in 30 years, but we certainly don't want to put handcuffs on our our kids and their kids and and new people in our community that says, oh, we can't do ministry that way because bummer. Man, let's let's invest and, and make it live long. Amen? So invest in the kingdom. Why do I say this? Because it's about the long term. It's not just today. See, these people went, this church went from clenched fists to open hands. They shared their things. In verses 43 and 45, we find out they sold property, just like they did here, to give to the poor and to help each other. This, this reminds me, just briefly, for you to maybe be thinking about, as you're going down this journey, as you get further along, ways to give, creative ways, how can I give? And again, not because Jesus wants your stuff, but maybe if he has your heart, you're going to have this desire, this growing desire to give. So what are some ways? Well, generally speaking, people give out of three buckets. Give out of three buckets. The first one is our budget. And most of us in the church, we give out of our budget. We just, it's, it's our income, it's our weekly in, weekly out. And if you've become a beginning giver and especially consistent or a tithing giver, then you're, you're putting that on your budget. You're saying, okay, this, this amount every week, every month, whatever that is, I'm budgeting this to give. To give to the Lord, to give to charity, whatever that is, to give. We, we give out of our budget. But there's a second category that, um, in reality, in the U.S., 90% of all giving in the United States to charitable causes comes out of this bucket, which is assets. You're like, I don't have assets, Josh. I don't have assets. I, I work a, a minimum wage job. I, I, don't, I don't have assets. What are you talk, why are we talking about this? Now, in the church, that number isn't quite 90%, but in larger churches, it approaches it. But assets, it's appreciated assets, like maybe stock or land or possessions, vehicles, savings, gun collections. You, you name it, Right? When you, might, when you hear this, though, again, you might be thinking, I don't have any assets. I don't have anything like that to give. Well, let me ask you, what, what do you have? What do you have? Think. Just do a, do a quick recollection in your mind. What do you have at home? Uh, maybe in savings, whatever else. Maybe it's a collection of some sort. Maybe it's excess stuff you don't need. I don't know about you, but Hannah and I have a lot of excess stuff, especially in our basement, that we do not need. Do you? We've been talking, that's an asset we have that we can give. We're planning to do a garage sale in May and just whatever we sell, take all that money and we're going to give it. And it's something that we really hadn't thought about, but we're walking around the basement cleaning stuff up the other day and like, we got a lot of junk. Sell it. I could throw it away or it's actually an asset. I could just, I could, it's something I can use to be able to give, can't I? That I wasn't expecting when the year began. A side job or an unexplained bonus, maybe stocks. Did you know that you can, and I know this might be a small number, but that you can actually give stock to our church. If you're interested in that, let me know. 
or write it on your Connect card, our treasurer will contact you. I heard a story this week about a church plant that was happening in the villages. When I retire, man, that'd be good. I'm going to go plant a church in the villages. I'm either going to do that or I'm going to find a church with a young pastor and do everything I can to cheer him on. That's my goal when I retire. But anyway, they're planting this church and these people, you know, they're on a fixed income. They're like, I don't know. What are we going to, wait a second. And here's the, the story we were told this week. Grandma's jewelry. I got all this jewelry. Do you guys have any jewelry? Your, our kids don't want it. They say it's ugly. We, what are we going to do with it? And so they decide, you know what? I can sell it. And I can give all that money to help plant the church here. Isn't that cool? Open your eyes. Slow down. Open your eyes. What, what do you have? That's the question. And this is for any age. Like middle school students, you guys have stuff, right? That the Lord may give you an opportunity to give if he has your heart. Now, I'm not telling you to go sell all your stuff to give, okay? So if you hear somebody say, oh, now Josh is saying sell everything and give it. No, I'm not. I'm saying pray about it. I'm saying open your eyes and see what the Lord might have you do with what he's entrusted to you. Maybe he says keep it, and that's great. But as you think about your assets and what you have, let me show you a video briefly here before we close of a new family in our church and how they've been growing uh, to know the Lord and even in generosity and even an example here of how they gave out of their assets. Okay, my name is Earl Smith and this is Sarah Kaufman, my daughter. We started coming to this church because we wanted to change our lives. And I come from an abusive background. She's had very abusive boyfriends and backgrounds. And we started coming to this church. We turned our life over to God. There's so many things that's happened that we can't explain it. Like, we started selling stuff online, and we got a few things. And this lady called us. She seemed she wanted this one blouse we had for $5. And we live in Milford. So we drove to Warsaw. We were supposed to go to family services in Warsaw, but we couldn't go that day, so she couldn't meet us at 4 o'clock, and she works all day. So the next day, we went up there about noon, and uh, she got out of the car. She said, look, we're just going to give it to this lady. She seems poor and stuff. We pulled up the driveway, and there's handicapped plates on the car. It was an old blazer. And uh, she got out, went to the door, she heard a dog and stuff inside. We knew there wasn't there. We thought maybe your grandmother was there, handicapped. And right on the door it said, angels gather here. And she tied the thing and left it there. And uh, we got in the truck, she did, and we drove away. And we probably wasn't two minutes down the road and CAPS, Family Services for Children, called. So she called, and I'm deaf in one ear. It's real hard for me to hear. But I could hear her on the phone talking to Sarah. She said, Sarah, have you got a minute to talk? And I couldn't believe I could hear this. And it wasn't on speakerphone or nothing. And uh, she goes, you got a minute? Sarah says, well, I'm driving. And then she goes, well, I'll pull over. And she pulled over. And this lady was just like awesome, talking so nice and stuff. And we had lost one of her children, Brendan, and we had been trying to get him back. And uh, it's a little over a year now. A little over a year. We've been doing everything we could. 
and we turned our life over to God. We started coming to this church, which is totally awesome. I can't tell you how many things have happened to us. Miracles. Can't explain it. And anyway, she said, go get the paperwork and file it, and you're going to get Brandon back. It may take a couple months. And we said, awesome. We said, you know, because baby steps, we got to work it one day at a time. And we've been blessed because we moved to Milford School for the kids. And I just, so many things has turned around. And I mean, we ain't hungry. We don't need nothing. We've calmed down. She's quit smoking. She's had no cravings. And I mean, God is just so awesome. So many things are turned around. And you can't explain it. It don't happen. Nobody can do it. And it has to be God. There's no other way to explain this. I mean, it's just totally awesome. And I want to thank everybody at this church for inviting us and being so awesome yes. to us. And thank God for everything. Amen. And we don't share that. Earl and Sarah, it's, I got the opportunity to just meet them. This was the last Sunday or two Sundays ago. Had heard about them. They've been going to a 110 group, getting connected, uh, seeing their lives change as they've connected with the Lord. And uh, we don't put that up there to say they've got it all figured out. They're like each of us. They're on that journey of learning and growing, aren't we? And uh, by God's grace, he's at work. Amen? But it began for them in some sense, as you saw, just saying, well, what do I have? Well, I can give this. It's amazing how the Lord works through that heart of generosity. What do you have? A couple other examples in the Bible. Sometimes what you have, you've got, you've got a whole bunch and, and you break the bank, you break the piggy bank, you break the jar to give. An example of a woman in Mark. It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. You'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Like today at Wallace Bible. But sometimes you break the jar. Sometimes I look at my assets and I go, you know what? I've been sitting on this for a long time and it's time to to break the jar, um, to give it, to sell it, whatever it is. And I think another thing here, a question from just a couple people have come up. But, you know, as we look at at spending a lot of money on our facility, well, and it's a good question. You know, what, what about that? Couldn't we give that to the poor? Couldn't we use that towards missions? And your idea is, yeah, we could. Um but we're looking at an investment in the kingdom long-term, aren't we? And uh, the reality is we're still, we're giving more today to missions and to orphan care with our orphanage in India and other things than, than, we, than we ever have and to missionaries than we ever have in the history of our church. 
Because as our church grows and our budget grows, our giving grows. And our giving above and beyond budget to those things is, is higher than it's ever been in the history of our church. Um, and as our church, as we invest in our facility, as we invest in ministry here, our church will grow so we can continue to give more, right? And nothing's stopping you. If you want to continue to get to that, please do. We're not going to stop as a church. We're not robbing from that in our budget to do any of this. This is above and beyond and extra. And that's a good question, but, um, but remember, uh, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses here and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Our, our primary ministry is always here. And if the stove goes out here, there's no heat in the pipes to heat the rest of the house and to to continue other ministries that the Lord has us doing. So it's okay sometimes to break the jar and to give here and see how the Lord expands that elsewhere. Sometimes uh, you empty the jar and God just refills it. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Sometimes I give and, oh, wow, the Lord's blessed. I have more to give. I don't know. I'm just saying these things so that you would be creative and think. If God's stirring your heart and you're like, I don't don't feel like I have anything to give. Well, I bet you do. Pray if he's moving you that direction. What would he have you do? And then the third bucket is just future. It's thinking, again, creatively about next year. Well, next year, I know maybe I'll get a raise. Um, Maybe I could, instead of increasing my level of standard of living, I increase my standard of giving. And I I give that to the Lord. Or or I know next year the car is going to be paid off. Or next year this, and I can plan ahead over those uh, three years. Believers sold property to give to the poor. Look at verse 36 in this passage. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, it's the first time he shows up, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He showed us that being creative with our resources and and potentially leveraging leveraging something that could have been a benefit to his family's future um, was used by the Lord. And God leads us to be generous. Josh doesn't lead you to be generous. I'm not going to press my thumb into you and say, be generous. I'm saying, pray about it. Seek the Lord. See how he would lead you. Grow in this journey. Amen? And then this last thing, maybe like Barnabas, you would just be the one. You'd be the one. Not everybody makes it to living extravagantly, to giving extravagantly. But maybe you would be one that the Lord will give you courage to step out in faith and do that. And giving extravagantly doesn't mean only for people who are very wealthy. It means that whatever level you're at, it's about your heart, isn't it? Be the one. Here's some possible growth steps as we close, and then the worship team will come and lead us. If you're an expanding giver, you're giving beyond my tithes to the vision of my church and the needs I encounter. Um, maybe you would seek to discover needs in the world in areas of ministry that you're passionate about. What's your thing? What are you excited about? What are you passionate about? Man, get involved there. Get involved there. You're passionate about things I'm not and vice versa. That's, that's on purpose, right? Find those needs that you're passionate about and give towards them. I'll, I'll begin praying bold generosity prayers and start stretching my faith and my giving. I'll, I'll give by faith the way that a sacrifice. I think to give sacrificially means I give in a way that it requires some faith to give it. 
requires a little bit of faith to give in that way. I'll surrender my career to the Lord. Maybe you do this. Here's a creative idea for you. Write a deed of ownership for your future with the Lord's name on it. The extravagant giver, you want to be extravagant? Maybe you're growing towards that. I'll engage the habit of prayer and fasting throughout the year to better hear God's voice on the direction of my generosity. I'll, I'll see new opportunities, resource opportunities as a possible new generosity opportunity. As I said before, raise my standard of giving, not living. I'll spend time weekly studying the promises of God regarding my resources. I'll identify a financial number to give annually that would represent a true sacrifice of faith. Now, again, I'm not going to stand here and tell you what you should give or how to give. If I did that, I'd be a Pharisee. Jesus didn't have kind words for them, did he? I'm telling you to seek the Lord. What would he have you do? Amen? I'm seeking him as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. And uh, Lord, it is the desire of my heart that for myself, for my family, for our church, that each of us, that we would grow more and more to be extravagant givers just like you are. And Lord, that's not dependent on our wealth. It's not dependent on where we are in our stage of life. It's dependent on our heart. Jesus, would you take our hearts and uh, remind us of all the ways you've been good to us and then uh, encourage us to give as an act of generosity back to you? Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray you'd continue the work that you've started in us. In Jesus' name, amen.